Thanks, Justin. Good morning. This is Memorial Day. It's one of three very specially focused holidays on our calendar. There's Armed Forces Day that's observed at various times in May. There is uh, Veterans Day. Uh, Armed Forces Day celebrates those that are currently in uniform. Veterans Day honors our military past and present. And uh, this day, Memorial Day, honors the fallen. So it's with great thanksgiving and sobriety that we approach this weekend. And uh, we, as Justin has said, we offer thanks and we offer appreciation and we offer um, our gratitude for the price that has been paid by so many that we can have freedom. Now, fathers, we open our heart to you. We ask for the help of the Holy Spirit to enrich us. We ask you to speak to our hearts by the Holy Spirit, Lord. We're not just trying to impart information. That won't get us anywhere. Uh, we're not just trying to tell a story. Again, that won't yield any lasting results. But Father, we open our hearts. Church, just consciously do it right now. We open our hearts to the Holy Spirit and we say, speak a word to us. Speak into our lives as the psalmist said, say to my soul. Lord, don't let us just hear the words, but let it go deep into our psyche. I am your salvation. Thank you for promising to help. We want to say thank you for your faithfulness. We want to say thank you that you've never left us on our own and you've never left us alone. You've always been leading us. You've always given us the victory. We haven't always understood the route that you take. And sometimes we, we stop our part of the battle far too early. But you have been faithful even when we have not. You have been gracious even when we have not seen you as gracious. So we want to first of all say, Father, forgive us for the times we've fallen short. We think about last week. We want to learn to sing the right song, but we want to sing it on the right side, not as part of a repentance, saying this is what we should have done. So Lord, come by the power of the Holy Spirit and bring victory, and we rebuke the enemy in the name of the Lord because of his faithfulness and his goodness. And right now to every broken heart, to every worried soul, to every shattered mind, we speak the peace and the help of the Holy Spirit. Come now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, last week we talked about learning to sing the right song on the right side. We, we uh, talked about the promises that God has given us, that everything is working for our good, that God will guard the things that we commit to Him, that He will bring um, the good work He's begun began in us to completion, and that even when we're outgunned, even when we are overwhelmed, even though there are times like Paul we feel that there's a sentence of death that's been placed upon us, God is still sufficient. He is still able. Now when we had our prayer tunnel last week, I just want you to remember what we prayed. We believe that God was unleashing three things for us. Number one, we believe that he was giving us an anointing to receive, uh, the ability to receive no more miscarriages uh, concerning spiritual promises that he's made. 
or, or any kind of promise that he's made. Um, we believe that he was administering to us strength to overcome. And thirdly, he said, I will fight for you. You remember when Israel said the Lord, the, even the Lord can't help us in this situation. The Lord pointed them back to their fight with the Amorites. He said, even though they were like mighty oaks and mighty cedar trees, he says, I will destroy their fruit above and I will dig out their roots beneath and I will bring a victory to you. You say, well, praise God, that's wonderful, but we've got a new problem today. We're going to advance to the life of Hezekiah, one of the most amazing kings of Israel, one of a trio of kings that God said there's nobody like them. There's no kings like them, uh, each of them with different reasons that God said that. But Hezekiah, uh, I encourage you to read his story. He, he He's faced so much. He, God brought him back from a death sentence. God, God delivered him from overwhelming army of opposition. Uh, the background of the story we'll read today is that Assyria has come against Judah. Now, um, Assyria will be the, the nation that brings down Israel to the north, the northern kingdom. Now they've set their sights on the south. And um, <laughs> Hezekiah and the people of Israel, they've been in warfare so long, they're exhausted. This is what Hezekiah said. He said, this is a day of distress. This is a day of rebuke. This is a day of rejection. He said, children have come to birth, but there's no strength to deliver. Have you ever been there where you say, God has been faithful and God has made these promises and now, now we're up against the wall. He's promised us children. It's time for the children to be born, but we don't have the strength to bring the children forth. Sometimes we know the promise of God, but we don't know that we have the strength to cooperate. With that in mind, let's read, <clears throat> let's read a story that is absolutely phenomenal. It's a long passage of scripture, but it's a good one. And um, bear with me while we read these uh, chapters 36 and 37. You don't have this in your notes. You can listen or you can find it in your Bibles. The main two verses we want to focus on today are found, this is in your notes, in Ezekiel, or excuse me, Isaiah 37, verses 14 and 15. Hezekiah received the letter. From the messengers. Now, this, for all intents and purposes, was a letter. It was from the Rabshakeh, who was the speaker for Sennacherib. It was from Sennacherib. It was from the nation of Assyria. But for all intents and purposes, it was a letter from hell. This is the second message that I heard David Wilkerson preach decades ago, and I had the privilege of talking to him about it. He said, we need to learn to sing the right song on the right side. He said, and when, when we learn that, it makes it easier when we get a letter from the devil. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Oh, sorry. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Isaiah 36. Now in the 14th year, I got to say one more thing. I've just got a vent. I'm becoming more and more convinced that those who disregard the Old Testament and say that things like it presented the problem but the New Testament gives the solution, that's such a shallow, shallow view of the Old Testament scriptures. 
It's these stories that were given to us as examples, not as just a historical reference point. I want to tell you, you need to spend time in the Old Testament as well as the New. The Old Testament makes sense of the New. I'm sorry, that was free. Now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. Now he's already conquered Israel. And the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh to Jerusalem to Hezekiah with a large army. He stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway of the fuller's field. Now the Rabshakeh was the speaker for the enemy king. In our, in our analogies today, the Rabshakeh could be anybody or any organization or any circumstance, any sickness, whatever. He stood by the conduit of the upper pool and then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder came out to him. These are the, the inner circle to the king. Then Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what is this confidence that you have? I say your counsel and strength for war are only empty words. Now on whom do you rely that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you rely on the staff of this crushed reed, even on Egypt, on which if a man leans it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who rely on him. So he said, your military alliances aren't going to work. Verse 7 he says, but now you may say to me, you may try to get spiritual and say, we trust in the Lord our God. Is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and has said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? He's questioning the reforms and the reformation that Hezekiah has brought to the nation. Now therefore come and make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you're able to put um, on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse one official of the least of my master's servants and rely on Egypt's for chariots and for horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord's approval against the land to destroy it? Can you believe this? The enemy says your trust in God is foolish. And by the way, it's your God that sent me here. You're just reaping what you've sowed. You have caused this problem and God has turned his back on you. He says, the Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim and Shebna and Joah said to Rabshakeh, speak now to your servants in Aramaic for we understand it and do not speak with us um, in Judean in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. Now everybody's hearing this conversation and they say, speak to us in another language. We don't want them to hear this. But Rabshakeh said, has my master sent me only to your master and to you to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall doomed to eat their own dung and drink their own urine with you? Then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in Judean and said, hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you for he will not be able to deliver you nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given to the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me. 
come out to me and, and eat each of his own vine and of his own fig tree and drink of the waters of his own well until I come and take you to a, away to a land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware that Hezekiah does not mislead you, saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? And then in verse 19, he begins to list, you know, his conquest. Where is their God? Where is their king? Verse 20, who among all the gods of these lands have been successful? Why do you think God would deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? But they were silent and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rabshakeh. Now we have to go to the next chapter to see the resolution of the story. And when King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes. He covered himself with sackcloth and entered the house of the Lord. Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household with Shebna the scribe and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz. They said to them, to him, thus says Hezekiah, this is a day of distress, rebuke and rejection for children have come to birth and there's no strength to deliver. This was the Old Testament way of saying, I believe, but help my unbelief. Justin, you may have to finish. Perhaps the Lord your God will hear, hear the words of Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, offer a prayer for the remnant that is left. I'm going to talk about this in just a minute, but remnant is the huge buzzword in a good way in the land of Judah, Isaiah has started proclaiming to them when they see the bigger part of Israel taken into captivity, the word of the Lord through Isaiah is God will work through a remnant. It doesn't matter to God if he works through a great number or a small number, but God will keep his word. Keep your eyes on the remnant. And he says, pray for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah and Isaiah said to them, thus you shall say to your master, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Then Rabshakeh returned, found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard that the king had left where he was. When he heard them say concerning the king of Cush, he's come out to fight against you, he sent messengers to Hezekiah saying, thus you shall say to Hezekiah, king of Judah. See, God's already started this work. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, destroying them completely. So will you be spared? Did the gods of those nations, and then he lists the nations, make 
any difference whatsoever? Then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. He went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord saying, O Lord of hosts, The God of Israel, who was enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and listen to all the words of Sennacherib who sent them to reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated all the countries and their lands, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone, so they have destroyed them. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from the hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. God is raising a generation of warriors He says that he is answering our prayers for a double portion of his spirit upon our children. And God does not want us to waver when he leads us through dark places and difficult places. We'll find out in Isaiah 49. Now you remember what he said about our enemies, the Amorites? He said, I will destroy the fruit they are bearing and I will dig them up by the roots. And in Isaiah 49, he uses the same language to speak to the remnant. And this is what he says, though you are just a remnant, though you are just a small number, I will cause your roots to go deep and I will cause your branches above to bear fruit. God said, what I did to destroy the enemy, I will do the reverse in order to bless you. But we've got to learn, loved ones. I'm convinced I was so mistaken when I talked about us hosting the presence of the Lord. As I've said, I thought it was just any day now the presence of the Lord is going to break out. But he brought us, has been bringing us through a place of repentance, a place of weakness, a place of refining our theology, a place of of purifying our walk. He, like David said, is teaching our hands to do warfare. And he's putting aside the the complaints that people have. We'd have this if so-and-so would do better. We'd be there already if such-and-such was not the case. And God is understanding he's taking away our right to point the finger. And he's taking away the right to live by our own standards and our own uh, intentions. And he is creating a people that will depend totally and solely on him. But the frightening thing about it is he brings us through the valley of the shadow of death to do it. He told us at the beginning of the year not to think it strange that as this year continues that it would be a continuation of trial. But he promised us that victory was on the other side. The central truth of this message is that God seeks to establish victory first on the inside of us. That's perhaps the most difficult lesson of faith to learn. Faith that is true faith begins on the inside of us. Peace that is true peace finds its throne on the inside of us. Every storm he brings us into, his first admonition is always don't be afraid. 
our response seems to always be, I wouldn't be afraid if it wasn't for the storm. So take away the storm and we're fine. But he wants us to understand that he is the master not only of the storm on the outside, but more importantly, he's master of the storm on the inside. Because he wants to establish peace first on the inside of us. This means outside circumstances may last longer than expected as we learn to live by faith and not by sight. Now in the story of Hezekiah, he shows us two very plain things. Number one, he shows us the battle plan of Satan. Thank you. And number two, he shows us the response of the Lord. Let me tell you about the battle plan of Satan. Number one, he approaches you to say there are no solutions. That even God is not enough. Brother David Field had a word from the Lord to, this morning that he wanted us to be aware, the Lord did, that the Lord's ways are simple, but the devil traffics in complexity. He is wanting to ramp up the complexity in your problem and whatever it is you're facing, he may have already done it. You did everything you knew to do, but the devil insists, and it may be a nagging thought. It may be the failure of someone else, but he says there's no solution to this. Not even God is enough, or if he's enough, he just doesn't care. But the enemy, if he hasn't done that, will try to do that. He will ramp up the complexity. He will try to make the situation so bad. He will try to make it so multi-layered and have so many fronts to the fight that you don't know where to turn. And it seems that everything the enemy is telling you is right. There are no solutions. Even God can't help. The second thing, he will have the audacity, that liar, to tell you that he is the tool of the Lord. You are getting what you deserve. He said, God's not able to help you. God's not going to make any difference. And if he could, he won't. And besides that, don't you understand that everything you're going through right now is your own fault? Don't you understand that this is what God has raised up to destroy you? Don't you understand that you are nothing? You are a piece of crap. You don't matter. And God has sent me to bring justice into your life and you are going down. Let me tell you the third thing he does. He will find those that have been your brothers and sisters in arms around you and he will destroy their faith as well, creating an atmosphere of doubt and fear. The inner circle of the king said, look, don't, don't talk in, in Aramean, don't talk in this language or in Judean, to talk in the diplomatic language, talk in another language, because everybody around us, it's not just our battle now, everybody around us is hearing this and they're losing faith as well. Sooner or later, loved ones, it's just a matter of time until he seeks to make a deal with you. I want you to know the enemy will come to you telling you that if you'll back off, he'll back off. He'll, telling, he'll be telling you that you can't keep this pace up. He'll tell you that your nerves can't stand it anymore. He'll tell you if you'll just relax, 
You'll be able, I'll leave you alone and I will take you to a better place and a better land. But his land is always a land of bondage. His land is always a place of slavery. And the last thing he does is he flaunts his war record by pointing out others who have fallen. Every time you say, well, God helped so and so, he'll name three people that seem to walk through the valley deeper than you are. He, he traffics in fear and accusation. The enemy's tools against us are accusation and intimidation. Blame and fear. Blame, fear. Blame, fear. Blame, fear. And he goes back and forth and he peppers it with lies. Many of those lies have at least some truth in them. And that's why the great Puritan says, never believe the devil even when he tells you the truth. But we thank God he has a battle plan as well. Now let me tell you, 36, chapter 36, we see what the enemy's doing. And you have to turn the page. Guys, you've got to, you have to get in the book. You have to turn the page. You have to go from where you are to where you're headed. Psalm 37 shows the battle plan of the Lord. Let me give it to you very quickly. Number one. Good wisdom, good advice. Do not enter into dialogue with the devil. Don't enter into dialogue with the devil. You say, well, we, I just want to rebuke him. Ah, I hate him. I want to rebuke him. <laughs> well, do you know that even the archangel did not bring a careless accusation against the devil? But he said, the Lord rebuked thee. I want to tell you, even on our best days, we're no match for the enemy. Even on our sharpest days when we've had three full cups of coffee, our minds are no match for his arguments. That's why Jesus, when it was time to do warfare, Jesus referred to the Word of God. He found, even Jesus found his source in the Father and the angel understood when he was disputing over the body of Moses, this was an archangel at least equal in rank to the enemy, certainly greater than the enemy because he was on the side of the Lord. But he understood his strength was in the name of the Lord. And he said, the Lord rebuked you. When under attack, reasoning with hell is not productive. The second thing God tells us to do is humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. A lot of times we think if I can just get to my banker, I'll be fine. If I can just get a pat on the back from my lawyer, I'll be fine. If I can just get my wife to see me wearing my new shirt, we'll be fine. The list goes on and on and on. But what the inner circle did, they tore their clothes before they came into the presence of the king. And Hezekiah had the good sense to tear his clothes before he went into the presence of the Lord. It, it, was, it was an act of humility. It was a way in that culture of expressing, Lord, we are nothing. We do not have the ability to solve this problem. It all comes from you. Number three, the battle plan of the Lord is turn to the word of God. Hezekiah said, pray for the remnant. Guys, I want to take just 60, 90 seconds to talk about the remnant. That was a concept that came to the people of God during the ministry of Isaiah. 
The northern kingdom had been taken into captivity. The same power that took them into captivity was now threatening Judah. In fact, they had already taken thousands of Judah captive by raiding the northern cities. And now they're facing down Jerusalem. And the message of the remnant was beginning to take hold. And Hezekiah said, Lord, we, we deserve any punishment that you send. We have failed and transgressed. But Lord, you promised a remnant. We pray for the remnant. Lord, let us be worthy of being part of the remnant. And they turned to the word of God and they turned to prayer. Number four, and this is where it gets hard. Receive the Lord's encouragement. Loved ones, we have to learn to receive the word of the Lord in our spirit and not just our intellect. It's a mind game. But that doesn't make it any, more, any less real. But it's up here. That's why the Bible says we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. You say, well, my spirit, I'm the Lord's. I don't need to do anything. You are the Lord's in your spirit. Your spirit has been born again and your spirit is, is already ready to go to heaven. It, the battle isn't necessarily in your flesh. It could take place there. It could have to do with a sickness or something like that or, or some kind of danger. But we know that our body is the last thing that's going to be redeemed. Now, God heals all along the way. God does miraculous things all along the way. But in regarding our spirit, it's already taken care of. Regarding our body, we know if not now, it shall be taken care of. I'll tell you where the biggest fight is. It's in your soul, in your mind, in your will, in your emotions. That's where we are being transformed in an active sense from glory to glory. Our spirits have been saved. Our bodies will be saved. But our souls are in the transformation process right now. And the battle is in our minds. And we need to receive the word of the Lord. And as I said last week, you say, well, I'm, I believe, but I'm still struggling. Then do what that wise father of a demon-possessed son did. Lord, I believe. Always start there. I believe, but help my unbelief. I want to say this one more time. But start with your belief. You say, well, it's, it's not perfect and God won't do anything till I get my faith perfect. Oh, baloney! We've been listening to that trash being taught for 40 years. I got to get my faith right. I got to get my confession right. That's a good target. It's a shame nobody lives there all the time. So sometimes what God has to do is provoke us to embrace faith and we say, praise the Lord. We usually give ourselves credit for that victory. But sometimes God comes to us when all hope that we should be saved has been taken away. Like Paul on the ship. You see, Luke said there was nobody with any hope left. There was no hope left. We're going down. Now we in the Assemblies of God like to add a verse to that. There was no hope that we should be saved except Paul. No, he absenced himself. Paul knew what to do when his faith wasn't working where he wanted it to work. He absenced himself. He went into the presence of the Lord. And God saw that man's fight for faith and an angel came to him. And you might say, well, Paul wasn't really worried. He was just praying. Then why did the angel have the message he had? Don't be afraid, Paul. You've been told that you must appear before Caesar, and before Caesar you shall go. 
Sometimes when we have no hope, the Lord comes to us because of his purposes. And then, guys, I know there are times that God has answered prayer for me and I just didn't seem to have any faith at all. And I need to learn that lesson for the next time. Loved ones, I want to tell you, it's the battle of a lifetime. It's the battle of eternity on this side of the veil is getting the message of God from our head into our heart. Another way of saying it is getting the message of God from our heart into our head. You can, you can explain it in either way, but moving to the point of intellectual assent to the point of heartfelt belief is the biggest struggle that we have. It must be received in our inner man, not just our mind. You say, well, then after I do that, I got it whipped. No, you expect a counterattack. The Rabshakeh realized things were falling apart. So what did he do? He came and he doubled down. That's why I want to tell you after some of your greatest breakthroughs, don't be surprised if the next day you go belly up again. What you do is you keep pressing, you keep pressing, you keep going back to the word that the Lord had given you. Expect the enemy to pour it on. There's a passage in, in Isaiah that it just thrills me. King James says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit will raise up a standard against it. And there's a debate going over whether that means when the enemy comes in like a flood or when the enemy comes in like a flood, God will raise up a standard against it. I think the best translation is this. When the enemy comes against you like a rushing stream driven by the Lord, God will go to work for you. God will go to work for you. Expect a counterattack. And loved ones, when you're in that place, no man's land, when you, when you believe in your heart, but you, but you need God to do what he promised, you spread the matter out before the Lord and you pray. You spread the matter out before the Lord and you pray. And that leads to the natural conclusion of the matter. Let God take up your cause. I, I, verses 33 to 35, this is what, what God says. Well, it's, it's a bigger passage than that. Um, but this is what God says. God sends a message to the king of Assyria and to the people of God. To the people of God, he says, because you prayed. Loved ones, that's why the devil fights prayer in your life so much. Because things happen when you pray that don't happen when you do not pray. When you trash yourself, when you dishonor the Lord, that puts things on hold or at least slows them down. But God says, because you prayed, I will come to your rescue. He says two things. I will rebuke the enemy and I will restore what you have lost. I will defeat the Lord says, the one who rages against me. And to Sennacherib, he says, I see your arrogance. I see your arrogance. I see what you are trying to put into the heart of the people of God. And I will not stand for it. God says, I am going to bless the remnant of the house of Judah. They will once again take root downward and bear fruit upward. He says, my zeal will perform this. Not our zeal, not our strength, 
but my zeal will perform it. And this is what he says about the Rabshakeh and Sennacherib and his armies. He says, by the same way they came, they will go away. The same way you saw them come and fear was instilled in your heart. I will turn them the same way and faith will fill your heart. And you know what happened? The Lord sent an angel, an angel of the Lord. When God gets involved, it doesn't take many. An angel of the Lord came and on the next day, the battlefield saw 185,000 Assyrian soldiers lying dead on the battlefield. Sennacherib went home and was assassinated in Nineveh by two of his own sons. Now, Lord, uh, loved ones, I've just tried to relate a story to you. I've tried to relate the reality of the battle to you today. I could go on and tell more stories. I could, I could go on and give more exhortation. But I want to tell you, I know what it's like to be facing an army I cannot handle. I know what it's like to get a letter from hell. I know what it's like to stand and be accused of what I'm going through being the result of my own sin. I know what it's like to say God helped you last time and the time before that and the time before that, but you've run out of favors to call in. God is not going to help you. You finally are paying the piper, buddy. And I think, that's, I think that is full in this auditorium today. I think there are people here today that have bills you can't pay and illnesses you can't seem to get under control. I think you have problems in regard to your employment that you can't solve. I think your family may be falling apart. The list goes on and on and on. The dark voices of the night are telling you your life is not worth living and the easiest thing for you to do would be to succumb and just come to a place of rest. I remember pastoring in a town. Young girl was found over a grave. She had shot herself in the head and was over the grave of someone that had lived uh, a century or more before. And when they examined her journal later, she said, no one understands me. Nobody loves me. I have no future. God has forsaken me. She says, but so-and-so, she called the name that nobody seemed to know. He understands. He talks to me. He tells me to come away with him. He tells me that relief is found with him. And they pieced together a horrible story. She committed suicide over the grave of this person that she thought was talking to her who had himself committed suicide a, a, a century earlier. Now we know the voice, we know the origin of that voice. We know it wasn't that young man, and we know it wasn't a call to peace. Never believe the devil even when he tells you the truth. Never believe the devil even when he tells you the truth. You are not going to be able to solve this problem you're facing by leaning on the arm of flesh. You're not going to solve this problem by finding someone to bail you out. Now God can use people. There's nothing wrong with God using people. And he may use people to bail you out. But the enemy has been working overtime. There's a flood of this. And the reason the Lord has allowed it, nothing can touch your life unless the Lord allows it. That doesn't mean he sends it. doesn't mean he condones it. 
but the Lord says you're ready for the battle. You're ready to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You're ready to walk through this. Why? Because God's just an ogre and he loves making us sweat. No. It's because he knows there is some strength that cannot be won any other way. There are some strengths that cannot be won by living on the mountaintop all the time. You have to get into the valley. And I want to tell you things that Moses, one of the things Moses learned and the same thing that Jesus learned and they both typify for us. It's one thing to be in the valley where the glory of God is, but people that are truly great servants of God know how to bring it down in from the mountaintop to the valley and then walk it out. I don't know how your problem's going to be solved. I don't, I don't know what counselor you can go to. I don't know what banker you can go to. The probability is that God in his love has arranged a situation for you where there's no way out but him. But I want to tell you, he's a God of power. He knows how to kill 185,000 of the enemy. He knows how to shut the voice of the, uh, the, the mouth of the accuser. He knows how to take you from a place where you're absolutely, totally unable to solve the problem till we look back and all we see around us are dead bodies of the enemy. He's able. He's able. Why does he do it? Well, last week he's up to this kind of thing because he wants us to learn to sing the right song. He knows you're going to sing it. He knows you're going to sing it. The, why, why do I know you're going to sing it? Because his seed abides in you. You're his child. You are his son. You are his daughter. You are his warrior. You may not understand it. You may be like Gideon who kind of looked over his shoulder when the angel said, Hail, you mighty warrior. And it was like, you may not know it, but God knows it. And he wants you to take that song that's inherently in you and he wants you to begin to sing it in the face of your problems instead of when your problems are dead. He wants you to understand that no matter how compelling a case the enemy brings against you, he is the God who's more than enough. Now I'll guarantee you this, there are sometimes his victory are, victories are not along the path I would take. There are times he does things in a way that I would not do them. But I want to tell you, the Bible says that no matter what our needs are, this is what Paul says, shall not he that freely gave you his son also freely give you all things? You know what he's saying? He's saying he's already given the best that heaven had. He's already given his son. So why do you think that anything else, any other token of his love is off the table? If he did that, he'll do anything. Now I make no claims as to how he'll do them. I've, I've discussed with him many times his poor choice and methods. He knows I'm kidding. But even Jesus said, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, nevertheless, not my will, but what you will. And yeah, there are some times that a battle takes us to heaven. Remember them, those three boys? God is able and God will but if not, 
that doesn't change one thing about our theology. Doesn't change one thing on the order of service. It doesn't change one thing on the theology of the kingdom. It just means the wise one is leading in a way I don't understand. Loved ones, what I'm calling for is not a guaranteed solution to your problem. What I'm calling for is unqualified trust. Where we say, Lord, we're in your hand. Our speaker at district council this week said something that just blew up in my heart. He said that God told him he was taking him through a tough place for this reason. He said, in the season that lies before you, I'm doing this for one reason. In the season that lies before you, you've got to be bigger than you are now. You are where you are right now. You have tears in your eyes right now because God knows that you need to be bigger than you are right now not to get to heaven, not to be the object of his love, but for you to live out every promise he's made to you, you've got to get bigger. This is your chance to get bigger. Would you stand with me, please?